following message is distributed by the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. I want to start this morning by uh, reading a section of Psalm 51. Psalm 51, starting verse 7. Purge me with hispis, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that have been broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will return to you. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you for this day. That we have to come here, Lord, as a family united together. People of different backgrounds, ages, experiences, all brought together because of what you are doing in their lives. Lord, I pray that you will give me wisdom as I speak. Help me to speak clearly. Lord, that we will honor you right now at this time. Lord, that your spirit will soften hearts to hear your truth. Lord, I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. I thought it was kind of weird that uh, Bill was praying all those things about my ability or the ability that God has given me because this uh, sermon today was one that I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to explain the points that I have to explain. They were all kind of foggy in my own head. And then he's there praying it, and I'm thinking, why are you doing this to me, God? Now i got to make sure I'm clear, concise, makes sense. Um, this topic is one of those that just it, it's just not easy to put into words. When I was in college, I had uh, one of my roommates was a, a graphic design major, and I remember one time walking into our into our dorm room, and he's sitting on the floor with his sketchbook because uh, he had to sketch so many pictures every week or whatever it was, and he's just like, "Ah, oh, I'm so frustrated." I said, "What's up?" And he said, I, "I've sketched everything in this room, and, and I still need to do all these more sketches." And, and I was like, "Dude, like, look out the window." Sketch the lamppost, the steps. Like, how hard is it for you? You gotta draw some pictures. I gotta go write and explain how the Holy Spirit works in the lives of people. <laughs> Give me a break. I'll switch. <laughs> and that's exactly the topic that I have today is, is this focus of the Holy Spirit, which often Christians confuse. We, we get confused about the role of the Spirit, how the Spirit works in our lives. 
And, and that confusion has caused some believers to even move so far away that, that some people might even say they've forgotten the Spirit. There, there's not really there's a trinity in word, but in their lives it's really just two people, two persons. Or there are others who have so emphasized the Spirit that it seems like the Holy Spirit is all of God. But for those of us who are saved, we have an amazing gift, like Phil prayed about. That dwells in us, the Holy Spirit, fully God, dwells in us. So we need to take some time to understand exactly what the Spirit does. He comforts us. He guides us. He convicts us. He gives us counsel. He equips us, purifies, reveals, unifies, gives life, directs, assures, and illuminates. And there's a couple more. That's a lot of things for the, the, the aspect of the Trinity that we often forget or confused about. Often, we prefer that if we had our way, we could have the physical Jesus. You know, like, don't send me the Spirit, send me Jesus. So I could walk and talk and hang out with Him and, and watch movies with Him. But maybe we won't watch certain movies if He was there. I don't know. But if we were really to sit and think about what we want and why that is so bad to have a physical Jesus, we would understand why when Jesus ascends to heaven, one of the last things He says is, it's good. It's good for me to leave. Because when I leave, I'm going to send the Comforter to you, the Spirit. Wait. Wait for Him. Because you see, Jesus, when He walked on earth, when He was walking around in Israel, He wasn't walking around somewhere else at the same exact time. He was a physical being. Right? Just like we, if you have kids, you try to explain this to you, I can only do one thing and be in one place at one time. Wait. Alright? And I don't know about you, but... I need God more than just that one specific moment. And if I'm walking around with Jesus, the physical Jesus, you guys are out of luck. And when He's walking with you, I'm out of luck. You see, the Spirit unites every Christian who has ever been And whoever will be together. We have God as believers dwelling in us. The Holy Spirit unites us together to form one body for one purpose. And that's for God. To direct us however He wishes. The Holy Spirit is all over chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. And, and I don't mean it in the way like he inspired the words, but literally everything that's happening in chapter one is all rooted in the spirit living in the lives of these Thessalonians. <clears throat> when we read a lot of times, especially this book, I, I love this little this little book. We wonder, like, how did these people do these things? Like, why doesn't my faith 
flow out the way it does in their lives. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with the confusion that we have of the Spirit. Actually, the, the end of Thessalonians, uh, Paul gives us this warning to, to not quench the Spirit. And when, we, when we're confused about something or we don't understand how it works, a lot of us just forget about it. Like, it, it, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. I'm going to just walk over here and do the things I do understand. That's quenching the Spirit. And today, we don't have sufficient time to talk about all the attributes of God. Maybe we could make a life training class, Charlie, on that. I think it would be a good one. But I want to turn our attention to something that, that in, in particular shows up, especially in this first chapter. And that's that the Spirit is the conduit of joy. The Spirit brings joy to the believers. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians, starting in verse 1 again. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your works of faith, and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be amongst you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. And you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Holy Spirit came into the lives of the believers in Thessalonica, Thessalonica, sorry, in such a way that it, it, it affected every Every aspect of their life, from their obedience to God to how they dealt with troubles and trials. I want to be 100% honest with you. One of the reasons I struggled getting ready for this passage is I don't experience this the way they do. I'm a happy person, but I don't have joy that bubbles over. When, when I was preparing the sermon, it was like God was raking me over the coals. So if you're like me, and, and, and maybe you just don't experience this joy in a way that is just, oh man, it's just everywhere. My prayer is that God rakes you over the coals. And however long it takes me to preach this. I want us to look at, at three truths that I believe we need to understand to help us to really experience the joy that the Thessalonians experienced. And the first truth is, is, it's simple actually. It's that the works of, of the flesh produce no lasting joy. The works of the flesh produce no lasting joy. Works of the flesh I stole from Galatians chapter 5. You can look at that. There's a, a list of things that we do for ourselves. 
And some of them you look at, you're like, I would never do that. It doesn't make any sense. You know, it's like arguing. But yet we argue. I argue all the time because I want to be right. I'm doing it for myself. But you see, as as fallen people, we seek joy, we seek happiness, we seek fulfillment in things that please our flesh. The only problem is, is that these things, they never produce lasting joy. I mean, think about the things that you've put your money and your time and your effort into. We, we, we people, we, we're constantly finding joy in something and then it just disappears. Remember when you were a little kid and, and for Christmas, the best part of Christmas was the box? You, you played in a box. I mean, I remember having a box and taking crayons in it and turning it into a rocket ship. I drew like pictures and buttons and switches. I, I was satisfied with a box. Or in the backyard. My, my kids, I send them in the backyard. If I just, here's a stick. They're fine for like hours. Until someone gets whacked in the head with the stick. And, but but, but there's still, there, there's so much joy in a box and a stick. But now that I'm an adult, it just, it doesn't meet that need anymore. I've tried. I've sat in a box. With my kids, and they're having a blast, and I'm just like, my legs cramping, this isn't fun, and I get out. But, but we as people, we, we, we still, we might have moved past the box stage of life, but we're still seeking joy in things, and, and that list is long, and I want to just talk about a few of them. And the first is money. We, we all know that money can't buy you happiness, but we all would love the opportunity to see if it's really true. Yeah, I know it can't buy me happiness, but, but let me just see what it's like to have a million dollars. Just once. Or maybe it's the things that money can buy, the material things. But those things fade away. Maybe you find joy in food. We went out on Friday night with a group of people and uh, these two gentlemen came up to us. They were from Kansas City or something like that. They drove all the way to try this restaurant and later on found out they, they, they were driving around the country basically trying restaurants that they saw on the Food Network. I was like, that sounds like a really cool trip. I love to eat. But same things, problems happen when you eat. Especially the restaurants they were going to all the time. I'm like, health issues? Maybe you put on some pounds? My wife has been reminding me of how much joy I take in eating. (laughs) Maybe it's other people's misery. And that might sound twisted, but if you're really not fond of something, or somebody I mean, and, and something bad happens to them, there's something inside of you. You don't want to let people know, but it's happening inside you. You're like, yes. Maybe it's relationships, but you bounce around from person to person because no person meets every need that you have. Or maybe it's not the relationships. Maybe it's just all about the sex for you. 
And that 20-second climax that you get to experience is the epitome of joy. But my question to you is, what do you do with the other 86,380 seconds of the day? You see, we will go to an extreme length for ourselves, to find joy for ourselves. We'll even go to the length of manipulating our bodies. Anybody driven on Interstate 15? There are more signs on this stretch of this highway than anywhere else I've ever been for liposuction and plastic surgery and for laser this and hair removal that or hair putting in there or whatever it is. Like, it's insane. And there's this one sign, and every time I go by it, it just, it sickens my stomach and and the sign says, Make your inner beauty jealous. Because you you can't be happy with who you are or how God has made you until you look amazing on the outside. It's it's pretty scary what we're what what this world is showing my kids, your kids, is important. Where joy is found. If we continue to look outside of of God, we'll always end up unsatisfied. We will always end up like, I had joy, but now it's gone. In the Thessalonian church here, they, they experienced joy and affliction and under persecution. I mean, imagine that, being physically abused and yet still you have joy. How? They found their joy not in themselves, but in somewhere else. Now, I'm saying this, and I'm going to say this over and over again, that their joy was found somewhere else. But if you're going to continue to try to find joy yourself, you will never look where the Thessalonians found their joy. Second truth, the Holy Spirit reveals the gospel in which we find our joy. The Holy Spirit reveals it. He shows it to us. According to 1 Corinthians, I think it's 1.18, it says that the cross is foolishness. It's folly to those who are perishing. Right? If, if you're not saved... You're dead. You're perishing. That's you. And and if you are saved, you know what that feels like. Because you only need to look back to prior to Christ moving in you. We are all once in that place. As depraved, fallen sinners... We do not, we do not desire the glory of God. We choose to follow after lovers less wild. Oftentimes that lover is myself. You see, we, 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 there's something about submission to God that we just fight against and fight against and fight against. That's why... When the, when the authors of this of this epistle, they say in verse five, they say, because our gospel came to you not only in word, 
I want to talk about word there for a sec before we continue on. Word here means speech. Right? We didn't come to you just in speech. Because no matter how eloquent or how rousing a speech is, just words by themselves will not invoke a faith that will last persecution the way the Thessalonians' faith did. Just words alone will not have an impact the way the gospel did here. If you look at Paul's speech, he doesn't, he doesn't use persuasive tactics. He doesn't get caught up in rhetoric. So, what was it? It wasn't just word. Continues on, he says, It didn't come to you just in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Words alone aren't enough. Power. Power didn't come from Paul and his amazing speech. It came from somewhere else. Keep your hand in there. Flip over to uh, Titus. Chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 3. says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasure, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's a great description of who we were or who we are without Christ. But it doesn't stop here. It says, but, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works we've done by our righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We're renewed because God put the Spirit in us. If you take the Holy Spirit and remove Him from the works that He does in the hearts of sinners, none of us, none of us would, would answer the call to have Christ as our Lord and Savior. None of us. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of sin. He's the one who reveals to us, you are separated from God. He does not appreciate, does not like. He, you know what? He hates where you are and who you are because you are a sinner. That might be strong to say that he hates where you are, but it's biblical, so get over it. Regeneration and renewal comes only from the Holy Spirit. Uh, the book of Ezekiel 36, chapter 36, God says, you can't do it by yourself. Me, I, God, is the only person ever who will be able to do it in you. And you know how I'm going to do it? I'm going to put my spirit in you. Think about that. 
You can't do it by yourself. It's the Spirit working in you. The Spirit reveals the gospel to us. The gospel is an invitation to joy. An invitation to joy. Now think about how you explain the gospel to people or how maybe you've had the opportunity to share it to people. If you're turning the gospel into like a sterilized list of facts, you're robbing it. I mean, I could sit here and say, you know, this is what happened and then this and then Jesus did that and then Jesus did this and then this and this. You know, find joy in it. And then like walked away like you're robbing it. If the gospel truly is an invitation to joy, why aren't we experiencing joy? Why, like, a little bit ago I had the opportunity to talk to somebody who who was, he came here, he was working on something, I think it was the freezer or something like that, and uh, I went to, to heat up something in the kitchen and I ended up talking to him like, joy in the conversation started to bubble up in me as we were talking about what it is I do and why I do it. You know, when he found out, like, my my main focus is teenagers, he's like, why? (laughs) But there's joy in this gospel message, and I have the privilege of sharing it with people. It started to bubble up in me, and I'm wondering, why doesn't this happen every time I share the gospel? We're told that believing in the gospel will make our joy complete. Do you put those words together in your life like you have joy in your life? Yeah, I do. Is it complete? Well, no. Joy, complete. We don't tend to put those together. I know I don't. Like I shared earlier, like this is a struggle for me. I'm overcome by worries by pressures, by doubts, by, by failures that, that I don't even want to admit to, these things drown out the conviction of the Spirit in my life. These things distract me from the directing of the Spirit, which wants to bring me to joy. But instead, I just want to be here and beat myself up. Or question, where are you, God? But yet he's saying, I'm right here. You're just not listening. The gospel is an invitation to joy. Joy for us today. Because of the amazing work that the Spirit's doing. Why are we not joyful that God is living not only with us, like, hey, he's next to us. He's living in us. That doesn't bring us joy. Why? The gospel is an invitation to joy for the future, too, because of the great rewards and blessings that we have for eternity. The Holy Spirit dwelling in us, it's kind of like a down payment or promise of the future. In the gospel, we find our joy because it's through that message that the Spirit softens our heart to that we can understand we need redemption and it is found in the gospel. We need to be brought back into a proper relationship and it is only through this gospel message that that happens. 
when you're lost in sin, God hates that, hates you in that position. But get this part. Those who he saves, God takes joy in. I mean, do you grasp that? When you were a kid, and, and I realize not everybody, you, not all of us here grew up in a, in a great family. But when you were a kid and, and your father took joy in something you did, didn't that do something to you? I mean, when my dad said, hey, good job, Kurt, it was like, yes. My dad loves me better than he loves you. You know, I said that to my sisters to be mean to them. But like there was something that like this, this joy because my dad took joy in me. There was something that that just did to me like I'm loved. You can say what you want about me, but I have joy because he has joy in me. The fact that God sees us as children that he has brought back to himself should fill you with joy. Much more joy than when your dad took pride in you. The joy of the Holy Spirit doesn't just end with the revelation of the gospel. It doesn't just end with the awakening of, yes, I'm now in a right place before God. Which is the last truth I want to talk about. And it's, it's the truth that the Holy Spirit brings joy by sanctifying us. We use the word sanctify or sanctification a lot. And, and I know sometimes it's not defined, so I, I do want to define it. To be sanctified means to be set apart for a purpose. Sanctification for us as Christians is twofold. We are sanctified in Christ. Yet we are called to be sanctified, to strive for holiness. And that happens through the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And eventually, sanctification ends up as glorification when we are finally called back to the Father. Sounds like an easy process, doesn't it? You know, like, hey, Holy Spirit, you're doing it. Awesome. But the only problem is we don't want to let go of some stuff. We want to hold on to it. We don't want to surrender it. Maybe we use the excuse like, that's just the way I am, or that's the way God made me, or, you know what, like, that's not that bad. But when you think about all these things, like, that's just the way I am. That's the way God made me. Well, if that's the case, why does Scripture go against that behavior? If that's how God wants you to be, why are you disobeying God in it? If that's how God truly thought it would be fine for you to live your life, why would he send the Spirit and say, look, I'm sending this to you to transform you? 
to make you into the image of my son. Maybe you look around and you compare yourselves to other people and, and you use that response. I'm not that bad. You know, I, I don't really need to give this one up. But that, that response in itself is kind of humorous to me because not that bad means you're still bad. There's, there's not like levels of badness. You ever, like, we say this term all the time, but if you sat and actually thought what it meant, I'm not that bad. No, you're either bad or you're not. It's, it, it's interesting that one of the hardest things for us when you really sit and think about it is the simplest thing. Give it up. Surrender. Stop it. You don't need to do this anymore. Let me change you. When I continue my, my, my own self, when I continue through the sanctification process, it amazes me how much my joy increases. Because I'm willing to let go of things that like I, I'm getting angry about because I think I need to manipulate them the way that will work best for me. Or I need to hold on to this because this is the most important thing to me right now. You know, in a few years you can have that, but right now I need this. I worry a lot, and that robs me of joy. Like, a lot. And, and the thing that surprises me is, if, if you were to know me a bunch of years back, you would say, like, wow, you've been keeping the Holy Spirit busy, Kurt, because you are very different. And, and, and I'm still surprised that I find joy when I'm willing to surrender things. This joy that the Spirit gives us as we're sanctified, is, it, it's, it's a gift. We think we have to work and work and work to obtain joy. It's a gift. I mean, how hard do you work for a gift? You show up and someone gives it to you. I mean, the hardest thing might be unwrapping it. Or pulling it out of a bag. The more that we are conformed to the image of Christ, the more satisfaction grows in God. The more you're satisfied with who God is and what He is doing, it's so much easier to find joy. Because it's God who's doing it. I don't have to do it anymore. I think about the, the Thessalonians and, and, and how they were able to, to, to under persecution, <clears throat> under, under affliction, find joy. It's because they saw God as their God who loves them and desires to make them into the best things that they could be. And the best thing for them wasn't that they were a wealthy banker or an amazing athlete. The best thing for them was that they were like Christ who lived to glorify God. When we're under afflictions and trials, 
where does our joy come from? I think it comes from uh, from three things, and it's it's only because the Spirit is transforming us to see these three things. The sanctification process helps me to see that God is refining me. Through trials, He uses things. Half the time I feel like I'm under some sort of persecution, it's because I don't want to give something up. But as soon as it's taken away from me and I realize, hey, I'm better without it. Or that's really not that important to me. Or I didn't realize that if I would be willing to surrender this, this thing would grow in me. He refines us through afflictions. I think of another reason is our joy doesn't need to be robbed under afflictions because we have the opportunity to point people to Christ when we are under afflictions. We are showing people that Christ is most important to us. It's an honor to suffer for His name like Paul, the Thessalonians. They experienced this thing that... that that brought glory to God. Now, the last reason is, is is directly connected with those. You can abuse me. You can take my stuff. Even the devil can do whatever he wants because he will never take my joy. Because the devil will never overcome God. The devil will never be able to do Something that will remove the work of Christ. My joy is found there. So when afflictions come, when persecution comes, that's where my joy is found. It's not found in the stuff. It's not even found in my body. I'm, I, I think again, like as how am I as a as a human being? Sorry. How am I as a human being supposed to explain this? Like, how am I supposed to explain how the Spirit comes into your life, reveals the gospel to you, and then transforms you into a new creation? Like, how? Think about it. How would you do it? How would you explain it? I mean, it's God working in us as people. And then I think again about Bill praying that that, that God would give me the ability to explain something that is inexplainable. It's it's not possible to explain it. I can give examples. I'll give you some examples of some amazing things. The, The apostles in the book of Acts, they're preaching the gospel and they're dragged before the Sanhedrin. All right, the council there. And they're told... You gotta stop preaching this stuff. And they say, no way. So the Sanhedrin beat them. They leave there rejoicing that they were beaten for God's sake. For Christ's name. Paul, right, one of our authors here. Let's see. Beaten, stoned, jailed, shipwrecked, mocked at every turn. Couple other things. It had to be joy. 
He had to have joy because that's the only thing that would explain how he could be so persistent in doing what he did. I don't know about you, but if, if you're going to stone me, I'm not going to get up and say, yippee. I mean, he had joy. His joy was not in himself, was not in the things he had. He had joy from God. Hey, stone me, kill me. That's fine, because I get to hang out with my joy finally, fully and completely. Or you could go a, a, a hundred, what is it, 177 A.D. There's a man, his name's Sanctus. Right? He's a new believer, and he gets dragged off and tortured and tortured and tortured. The descriptions uh, that, that you read of, of what they did to him, it's funny because even, even the, the non-Christians said that he was tortured so badly, he was so disfigured, he almost didn't look like a human being anymore. I mean, his bones were broken. He didn't look like a human being anymore. And every time they would question him, his only reply is, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And when they thought they had finally killed him, they found out he was still alive. And they stretched him out. So all his mangled, broken bones stretched him out. They said that was the first time he looked like a human being in a couple days. Yet he was singing praises and driving his captives insane. A few years later, there's a girl, her name's Thesso funny Greek name, Thesso, Thesodicea, I think how it's pronounced. She wasn't even 18. She paid respects to Christians who were about to be brought before the courts. A guard saw that and grabbed her and threw her in jail. This girl, not even 18 yet, singing praises while being tortured. The captives were so frustrated with the joy that she showed that they considered this is it they only considered it releasing her today in the world there are husbands stripped from their families fathers beaten in front of their children women daughters taken and raped and beaten because they are Christians. Yet, after all this, they gather together. And a lot of times, in the same place they were just taken from, to praise God, filled with joy, rejoicing that He is doing the things He is doing in this world. How do you explain that? You can't. It's not possible. The only explanation I have is it's the Spirit working in them. When I hear these stories, when I get those little windows of opportunity in my life where I see joy bubbling out, flowing, when, when the rest of the world says, Kurt, you should give up. Or you should get angry. You should fight back. Or, or other people that I have known where there is joy in their life amongst sickness, amongst death, Amongst emptiness of all material things. 
it just shows that it does happen. It does happen. So if you want to experience joy, and, and, and I mean joy that will last forever, you're not going to find it by yourself. You need to seek the Spirit. You need to seek God and say, I want what those Christians have. If you are a Christian and you're not experiencing this joy, you need to seek the Spirit. Say, transform me. I'm tired. I'm done trying to find joy on my own. Guide me. Convict me. Mold me. When you're willing to do that, joy will be a continual state. The Bible tells us that there's no law against joy. That's good, right? Joy is a good thing. It's really awesome that there's no law against it. Why are you, why am I still seeking counterfeit joy? When you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you, your focus transitions off of yourself. Your focus becomes Christ. Your joy will increase. You know why? Because He's given you your greatest joy. Himself. Let's pray. Lord God, there are so many of us so often robbed of joy. We trick ourselves into thinking that, that we can obtain joy through our own actions or through, through material things or through people, Lord. Those things are, are, are shadows of what real joy is. We're chasing after shadows, Lord. Many of us know who you are. We praise You for forgiving us of sins. We praise You as the God over all things. We even confess with our mouth that our joy is found in You, Lord. And then we go away seeking it somewhere else. Lord, I pray that You will have mercy and grace on us. Lord, that Your Spirit will convict us of our folly Lord, help us to see You as our greatest joy. Lord, help us to be praising You and thanking You over and over again because You sent Your Spirit to dwell in us so that we can be transformed into Your image. Lord, I pray for those of us who who don't know this joy, we've never ever experienced it, that right now Your Spirit will reveal the Gospel to them, that they will be transformed by it, that this day they will leave experiencing a joy that is, it's, it's unexplainable, it's immeasurable. Lord, I thank You for these things in Your Son Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this message recorded at the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.